Welcome to Uncontained, episode 189. I'm your host, Aaron Static Render, and kicking off the new year 2020 right with a brand new episode with a comedian you may have seen on America's Got Talent. That's right. I have Oliver Graves on the show today. And of course, we talk about his experience on America's Got Talent, the interaction with the judges, what happens behind the scenes, and what he did to make sure that he was taken seriously on the show. And it could have it could have made the difference between the five second clip airing and his whole clip airing on the show. We also talk about social media and how he got started going way back to the MySpace days and wanting to be an influencer. Oliver also shares how he uses social media now to create hype for things that he's working on, or even if it's just using random polls. Uh, one we talk about involves the Adam family and the monsters so you'll have to listen to find out more about that i'm excited to get 2020 kicked off right with the goth comedian from america's got talent so plug in those earbuds and find out how comedian oliver graves lives uncontained how are you doing today oliver and welcome to the show i'm doing okay that's kind of my standard response. I was going to say, that's about as good as I can expect. Yeah. <laughs> I used to tell people the truth. I would tell them how I'm actually feeling, and I realized it was a downer. So I just learned to say, just say okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So um, first of all, congratulations on the whole American Got Talent uh, experience. We didn't quite make it to the live rounds, but just to get as far as you did is quite an accomplishment as well. So congratulations and uh, thank you for joining me. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think a lot of people don't realize getting your clip to air, you know, that wasn't, I had no control over that, but not just being a five second joke. Because that's what a lot of comics would get is they get on TV, they get a joke. I'm like, okay, yeah, we, we might see more of that person. I had my whole clip. I'm like, that blows me away. Like that, yeah. not everyone gets that. You know, like maybe 200 people get that. I don't have control over it. I don't know the rhyme or reason. And yeah, it's it's insane to think about that I'm one guy and they wanted to focus on me. That is awesome. How long do they give you on America's Got Talent to perform? Is that your whole set that it showed? They prep you for 90 seconds to two minutes, and that, that's everybody. But I, I always see musicians, they would spill a little longer. But every performance was supposed to be in that two-minute range. And that's what I was doing when I did the performance everyone saw. I think they cut a joke, and that's about it. Okay, all right, because it's hard to tell when they cut back and forth from the judges. Anything can happen. So let's talk a little bit more about America's Got Talent. Then I want to go back and talk about how you kind of got into stand-up, how you developed your persona on stage. Okay, so on America's Got Talent, you get up there on stage in front of Howie, Simon, Mel B, and is it Heidi Klum? Or... Yeah, it was Heidi for me, yeah. All right. So what is going through your mind as you're standing there on stage with those guys and the huge studio audience? This is going to probably blow a lot of people away. And it's really kind of a big secret. Uh, you're getting the exclusive. I couldn't okay. hear them. They were talking to me and like talking to the mics. And there was some weird feedback. And I almost every time they spoke wanted to be, ex excuse me, like what? Because it was just so awkward. And I think that played into it way more than anyone intended where I'm just like standing there, not understanding them, not sure what to say, trying to just say something. So they don't have like a monitor on stage for you to hear what they say. Well, they did. I don't know if it wasn't working or if I stood in, in a wrong place, if I was too tall and it was supposed to be aimed for a kid or something. Cause they did have a kid out go before me who was half my height. If okay. just something was up that was not quite working right. And I just couldn't, I couldn't, if Mel B was the one speaking to me a lot, I couldn't understand anything she said. When Simon spoke, I could hear him, but he didn't say that much to me till after I'd already performed. Yeah, so Howie, to have a proven stand-up comic to give you credit like he did, he really dug you on stage, you know? You could tell. And I get the sense that he wants to support people 
more if they're not getting it from everyone else. And he's like, no, this guy's really good. He's a comic. I want to be on his side. And so he's like, I'm going to step it up and be really supportive of this guy because of, you know, the lack of everyone else. Like, no, let's get into it even, even higher. And that's what I really felt from him. Yeah, definitely. And did you get to talk to them like backstage at all? Or did you, or, or was it mainly limited to the conversation you couldn't understand while you were on stage? Well, they, they were always on the panel. The first time we filmed, they never really moved from those tables. I was backstage a lot, but I never really saw them float. I saw Tyra float around. Okay. They didn't really talk to her. The second time I went to go film, that's a different format where they kind of, there's a set amount of acts and it's just the whatever 12 acts, or whatever they have. So at one point they took a break and I'm just one person because they had, you know, a dance team. They had uh, a giant band. They had a lot of stuff the second time I was there. If you, if people, I don't know, remember my judge cuts thing and that's cluttered, you know, to have the, the, the stunt guys and any of their equipment to have any of these people just backstage. So they just kind of kept me backstage a lot because I was just kind of one guy I'm like, well, you don't take up a lot of space. You can be backstage and, oh, we're going to take a break now. You just you just stay there, Oliver. You're not in the way because you're one person. So they didn't really excuse me at one point. And that's when I actually kind of got a little bit of a back and forth with Howie again, where he goes, hey, I've been telling people about you. You're you're really funny. You're going to kill it. And, he's like, and I, you know, I said, I hope so. And he's like, I, I think you're going to do really well because I hadn't performed yet. And he's just he was just waiting for the break to be over. I could tell he was just, he's an entertainer. He doesn't really want to just stand around doing nothing. Yeah. 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 You can tell he almost has like a little bit of that ADD aspect in a way, at least I'm, I'm just projecting that onto him apparently, but uh, you could tell he's like, doesn't like waiting. Well, he also doesn't have hair to check. You know, he doesn't have to go backstage and, He's just bald. He knows what his hair looks like. Yeah, yeah, gone. All right, man. So, like, since you have finished with America's Got Talent, um, what ha- how has life been different? Well, that's, that's such a weird question because, you know, it's like I got off the show and it was always a kind of, like, touch and go. I'm like, well, I guess that's it. I'm off the show. Then... At some point, they called me back in September and said, we want to film another little uh, sketch with you. We want to do a little, like, funny joke thing with you. So they flew me back, and I did that. And I'm like, okay, well, that was cool. That's I guess nothing's going to come from that, really, because they kind of, like, barely used me in that. Then they released the clip on Facebook, and it went viral. Then six months after that, it went viral again. And it's just, like, my, my life after is still very much in this thing. Like it just, again, for around new year's, I saw people were reposting that clip that happened for me like two years ago now. Wow. It's cool. They kind of keep you coming back a little bit or keep you in the loop. And I know like when you were talking with uh, the judges beforehand, you said you weren't getting booked a whole lot. Have you been getting booked more since you have the television credit? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like real actual, gigs you know paying gigs not five dollars but it took me an hour to get there so it's just no no gas money not like actual substantial stuff it's still a struggle you're always working to work but it's definitely better than before very cool man so i'm glad that the exposure kind of helped you out and got you going down the path to a more lucrative stand-up career now Let's take that step back, though. How long have you been doing stand-up, and how did you get into doing stand-up? That is kind of a long question. I Well, I guess we can start more recently with I first started going to San Francisco, Oakland, and really grinding and going to those open mics and trying to be part of that scene in 2013. Okay. But before that, I had been touch and go with stand-up and, and writing. I had always been a writer. Mm-hmm. I never considered myself a one-liner comic till I realized that's what I was writing, and then that's when I started really putting it together. And now I, I guess I would say about six years ago. But I, I kind of really started as a street performer before that. Really? Yeah, I love doing living statue work. When I went to Vegas one time, I saw them doing that, and I thought I could do that. And my friends tried to do it for like, you know, the two minutes standing still. And I realized, no, I can really do this. I can stand still for hours and hours and hours. Really? Without even moving? 
without moving. Yeah, eventually, I mean, I can't do it without blinking. Blinking, that's touching. That's depending on how yeah. my body feels. But yeah, without moving and just doing, I've done it before for, I think four and a half hours was the longest I ever went without, you know, moving or changing a position. That That's impressive. I'm way too damn fidgety to do that. <laughs> it's not easy. You have to pick a position that you can really do. Uh, like I actually just recently doing a set, I was getting really uncomfortable the way I was standing because I realized I was standing in a bad way on stage where I'm allowed to move around. I'm thinking like, wait a minute, I'm I'm supposed to be better at this. I'm supposed to know posture. I used to do this. So even as good as I think I am, I'm really bad at it too. <laughs> Fair enough, man. So did you also get started out as like an online personality? Kind of. That's a weird question too because i it, every answer i'm going to give is is not what people might think hey it's you know, all I, right I that loved, makes for an interesting podcast yeah <laughs> i loved myspace way back when and i wanted to be a myspace person like you'd see these like what's her name uh tila tequila or whatever okay who started on myspace jeffrey star started on myspace and i thought i'm i wanted delve into this too and i didn't really take it seriously so i just made a lot of friends on myspace which it's funny some of them are still connected to me even today and that's you know 15 years ago wow that's impressive that you uh that they hung around so they made the switch over from myspace to facebook and facebook instagram other yeah yeah. look at you growing with the technology very important very important as before (laughs) i always hear people who are this is one of my big pieces of advice to performers talking about social media is i hear people say i don't like instagram or i don't like twitter whatever thing they say they don't like like well people might want to see you on there so it doesn't matter whether you like it fans of yours might like to see you on it yeah like i don't really like twitter but I'm never going to give it up because I know people like Twitter. Yeah, I'm I'm not the best at the whole tweeting thing. I've been trying to do the whole social media more myself. But uh, yeah, so sometimes it's a content issue besides post- posting like pictures for the show or the show art or stuff about the show. Like, is there like a line that you walk between stand up and personal related or is it all blurred? It's a bit blurred, I guess. It's hard because you always want to be posting something it's just this content is king you have to constantly post so i I don't necessarily have a good joke every day so maybe i stood in line too long somewhere and i just want to post about that okay all right so i guess what i'm asking do you let people into your personal self in addition to your stand-up persona Mm, yes and no i mean i I think that comes out on stage a lot. Like my my, that's where I'll talk about my real life more, rather than in other aspects. Like I'm not gonna really do it on. I I've done it on social media and people are very supportive, but I don't I don't really like doing that. It doesn't. I've seen people do that and I it turns me off. Like I'm disgusted by it. Really? Yeah. I don't like when people are like, "Oh, woe is me. This is so hard." Like, yeah, I have problems. Like, you know, but I. I don't want people to feel sorry for me. And yeah, here I am, this person that where people were crying and feeling sorry for me on TV. It's like, I never asked for that. I never wanted that. And I've got plenty of it. I don't need people to feel bad for me in other avenues and other aspects. I have all the sympathy I need. Fair enough. Fair enough. So basically, um, you keep that crap out of it. Fair, I can respect that. And it feels more real if you do it in person on stage, too, rather than, you know, just this post here and there you know if you're actually in front of them and you can talk about an issue then it's not you know you're also making jokes too so the whole setup punchline is there in front of them and it's it's alive it's not eh, want 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 you know yeah yeah okay i got a question for you along the line of personal content and stand-up obviously it's you doing you and nobody else can do you like yourself like that old quote but now if you are revealing something about yourself that you know might get the ah moment like the crowd sympathy what do you do to offset that so you don't get the ahs or do you embrace the ahs I would never have gone for that in the past, but I've realized that comedy doesn't have to be comedy 100% of the time. That being on stage, you can have a wide range of emotions. So 
I might make fun of it as a comic because I'm going to deflect because it's just maybe that's not I didn't intend for it to happen. So if I know it's going to happen, I'm going to roll with it because I usually know I have a joke. If it happens unintentionally, yeah, my first reaction, I might go, oh, get over it. But you have to kind of go with it. If people gasp, if people awe, if people laugh, that's fine. The main goal, hopefully the majority of what they're doing is laughing. But the longer and longer I'm on stage, if I'm doing half an hour or more, the more and more I'm getting comfortable with people having different emotional responses to anything I'm saying because that's part of life and that's part of a performance in a way, you know? Okay. All right, because that's one thing I've always wondered. Like, uh, doing, I've done stand up in the past, and I dabble with it a little bit here and there. Want to kind of get back into doing it a little bit more, but I'm blind in my right eye, and I want to make jokes about that on stage. And I like, I just don't want the pity of it, you know. So I, I always like to ask people who about their philosophy on that. Well, comedy usually starts with a down and then goes somewhere else. Like, that's kind of the easy rule of drama or comedy is drama, you know, you take something amazing and then you ruin it. Comedy, you take something ruined and then you make it amazing. So there's nothing wrong with starting in a low place and then going higher with comedy. I think that's exactly the way to start. It's, It's a great way to start. It can get the audience on your side and it can, you know, get things out of the way that they were you know, kind of thinking or wondering, and then boom, you're making them laugh, too, is what's most important. I mean, if you're not getting them to laugh, then yeah, it is just poetry. Fair enough. Otherwise, yeah, it's just a spoken word performance. So when you first started out doing stand-up, did you always have the Oliver Graves persona, or did you venture into... Or did you start out with a different persona? Well, Oliver is my name, uh, but I didn't used to use my name. I used to go by negative excitement. I tried to <laughs> sort of ham up the, the goth emo thing. So I, I was a goth kid in high school. Okay. And I was, you know, black trench coat and all that. And I when I did the MySpace thing, I was making fun of it way harder for all my friends who were, we were all, you know, low-key goth. We'd wear all black, but we didn't do like makeup and stuff really like I like to wear you know eyeliner and a little bit of makeup but I never went like full in so that's kind of what I was kind of doing was going like well what if I did it what if I just had all this makeup on and obviously I'm not that good at makeup but it doesn't look that amazing (laughs) but even still it's it started with something I was interested in and making fun of it to then just realizing I was just afraid to admit that that's what I liked. I'm into this, you know, like showing your friends, Hey, isn't this funny that I look like this to no, actually I, I look like this. Uh, yes. Yes. The whole masking, masking it as a joke type thing. Uh, so yeah. So if they're make, it's like, you know, if I don't know. I, I can't sing. So if I like try singing, I try to sing as horrible as possible. Just uh, like, yeah, yeah, it's a joke singing, but I really sing like ass. Uh, it's kind of the same thing to deflect like the things that people would say about it, correct? Right. It, it softens the blow. It makes it easier. And and it's, you, you know, you're, you're scared. I mean, we're all young and curious and we want to try things. You don't know how to do it sometimes. And it's like, yeah, no, it's just. You get, hopefully you get over it, or yeah, do whatever you have to do to try it. Try it. That's that's my advice. Good advice, right there, man. Good advice. So I want to jump back ahead, uh, back to the America has got talent. Before we move into the uh, into the final questions of the show, uh, mainly it has to do with getting on the show and what the process was like going. Um, applying to be on the show auditioning and uh all the way up until where you first performed like what was that part of the experience like that nobody gets to see well you you do get to see it if they're in your area and they happen to be in the bay area in the beginning of 2018 i think because i started talking with them in 2017 i want to say december because they said hey we're gonna be in san jose and i live you know 90 minutes or so depending on traffic 
uh, north of San Jose. So I'm like, well, I've done that drive before. I could do that drive again. And I started communicating with uh, people involved with it, doing the whole pre-signups and then driving it. And it's when I say America's Got Talent is going to be in San Jose, when they do these, they do them all over. They do them in Tennessee. They do them in Arizona because they go around looking for talent. It is the talent scouts, the producers. It's all those people, whatever name they want to put on themselves. They use different names all the time for their positions. It's very Hollywood. But it is the people who make the show – not the judges, not the camera workers. This, this, it's not filmed for TV. They might film a little bit of the crowd stuff for TV just to show in really quick shots. But when I'm sitting around in a conference room waiting to step in front of a person alone in a room, that was not for TV. And that's that was part of the beginning of the process, was doing that in San Jose at a convention center and doing my set almost exactly the same set that ended up on TV. They really okay. liked it pretty much right away. And then waiting after all that for about a month. And then they're like, Hey, we're, we're inviting you to film for TV for real in Los Angeles. Okay. So it's a big waiting game there too. You go audition, then you had to wait a month before you got to find out you were going. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it was a long day doing it, and then it's a long day when you actually go to L.A., like both days, every single day, it's like the longest day of your life. And then you, you know, I thought San Jose was a long day, then I got to L.A. to film for TV, I'm like, oh, this is even longer. Like, you could stretch, there's so much time in a day. Yeah, now, as far as the production of the show, you know how they have your performance, then they have the pre-recorded role of the uh, entertainer talking do you basically record yourself first and then go through the whole uh judge like the judging process where they pass you or not and then do they go back and be like okay we want to do like a background on this contestant or do you do that all right away they did a whole like i don't know how long over an hour long interview with me in front of a camera and i gave the longest answers pretty much every single time that they asked me a question. Uh, Cause I had watched a couple of people before me do interviews. Cause you're kind of waiting and whatever, and you can, you can eavesdrop on everybody's thing, but nobody's really doing that. So I watched, Oh, I can't remember their name. It, um, it was Bello Knox daughter, their daughter, Annalise, Annalise Knox. Uh, she's a, daredevil stunt performer her dad was on the show he has the long tall hair i got to hear her entire interview and i was like okay that's pretty solid then they did an interview for eva destruction as a drag performer they were recently on uh dragula the drag competition show they didn't do an interview for eva because they were uh clown monster drag look yeah they just had eva laugh and do like screams and other things into the camera and i knew that that's that's a bad sign they're not treating (laughs) that performer uh seriously they're not treating them like a person they're not actually interested in their story or who they are or what they're going to do and this is all before performances okay so I knew I need to be treated like Annalise Knock. I want to be a person. I want to show them I know how to do stand-up comedy. I know about stand-up comedy. I, and I know that I am not doing stand-up comedy like the majority of people who do it. And I wanted to be concise and have actual lucid answers and not just have them uh, you know, sit and have me be sad. <laughs> yeah yeah so did they did they start asking uh asking questions to eva destructions and all of a sudden were like uh screw this uh just yell and scream they no i i can't really remember um but i don't feel like there was ever like let's let's get to know you i think it was always from the get-go you're a clown simon hates clowns laughing at the camera Okay. Yeah, Simon's not going to let you go on. Uh, so what did you do personally to make sure that like, that they treated you as a human, not just the sad clown? 
every single question I took very seriously. Every I didn't I it's an opportunity as a comic every time they're doing those interviews to make jokes, to sit there and have fun with the interviewer, have fun with the show, be funny and I threw away that chance. It it was a huge gamble. Uh I part of me regrets it, part of me doesn't, but I I wanted to be respected and I didn't want them to just see someone who's just doing what I do, you know, like just being the downer. I'm like, no, I, I know what I'm doing and I need to step up and show that I, I know the craft and I'm, I'm not just there to be made fun of, which I know people are brought on the show to just be made fun of. That was a big fear of mine before I performed is they just want to laugh at me, not with me. Yeah. Yeah. We've all, we've all seen that. And that's like going back to the American idol auditions, like back in the day where they had, you know, the very first round where they had the people who sang and sounded like a dolphin call or something like that. It was just terrible. That was what you're talking about, what you wanted to avoid, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And they, still do that yeah for they've been doing that a little bit more with america's got talent they like to have kind of like duds they like to have x acts you know where they buzz them yeah yeah i I wonder how much of that is uh simon cowell influence (laughs) i think based on me watching the live show because i've seen if you go to a live taping anyone can see this yeah they are reacting a hundred percent on their own and they if they don't like something, if they think it's bad, if they think it's unpolished, if they think it's too much of a joke, they'll buzz it. Right on, man. Right on. So um, now you've already given a lot of great advice just talking about your America's Got Talent experience. But moving into the second portion of my show, geared to help people who are looking to get into the entertainment industry, take that first step or the next step to get to where they're going. Now, what advice do you have for somebody who is looking to get into stand-up comedy or maybe even take that leap into trying to get onto one of the shows like America's Got Talent? Well, let's let's stick with getting onto America's Got Talent. I'll say anyone that is interested in that, because I meet a lot of people now who they want to be on that show. They say, oh, I want to try out or I'm trying out for this and I'm connected to that fan base and that world and i'll say to people don't try to get on the show if you're not pursuing the talent already don't just go hey i'm gonna write a stand-up set or i'm gonna learn a song and then audition for the show because then then you're not really about it you know uh that's happened to me I don't know, at least two or three times where I meet someone who's like, I want to be a comedian. I want to try out for America's Got Talent. I go, okay, well, that's a big gap. That's not A to B. That's not, I want to be a comedian, A, and then B, I'm going to try out for America's Got Talent. Like, no, there's, there's A to B to C to D. Like America's Got Talent is so far down the line on things that if you're just interested in being on that show, you need to work really hard at what you do before you need to worry about that. So okay. that's, I know that's like, that's like heavy advice to give. Some it is, ones. but it's good. It's heartbreaking to a lot of people. I'm sure who are like, well, I, I thought I could be a comedian. Like, well, get out and go to an open mic and then I won't be the one breaking your heart anymore. <laughs> and also a good thing is to maybe if you do end up just luckily writing uh, material that works, you know, you don't want to get thrust into stardom with only like 90 seconds of material that's exactly yeah you might have a great bit that you could come up with and work on and it is only 90 seconds but you need at minimum and this is the minimum to really do well on the show is you need 10 minutes and you absolutely should have more than that but if you don't even have 10 minutes of performance material you can't make it to the end. And if you can't make it to the end, why are you trying to do the show? Then you, you don't have, cause it's a huge platform. It's a huge piece to be on. So if you managed to get on, if you had 90 seconds and then they needed you to come back again, you, you might make a fool of yourself or people might start offering you, you know, gigs and roles or other things like whatever you have, maybe a, even 
you know, record label, whatever other things you do as a performer, you know, singer, this or that. And then you go, well, I just do the one thing. Like, well, they can't sell tickets to two minutes of material. No, no, yeah. Who wants to come see a quick little glimpse of uh, Oliver Graves? No, that does, it doesn't work out. <laughs> yeah, like who wants to see me, you know, tape a banana to my back? Like, well, what else do you do? Like, no, that's it. That's my one trick pony. And you don't, you need at least a solid 15 to open for somebody in real life. So that is some uh, great advice. So at least have 10 minutes of uh, solid material. Ideally, if you're interested in a talent, my, my real advice is to pursue the talent really hard and then worry about things like America's Got Talent or there's other shows too. Like, you know, there's, they're, they're always popping up is focus on what you're doing and then make that a next step. Don't make that the goal. That shouldn't be the goal. That shouldn't be the number one thing because that's lightning striking you. You don't want that. You can work really hard and you can make it without that show or other shows. So what was it that made you decide you wanted to do America's Got Talent? And like take the gamble with the lightning bolt. Honestly, this is kind of the convenience that they were only 90 minutes from me. I didn't have to drive to L.A., to do it all and also a bit bitter that uh the gong show never took me on uh back in like 2016 or so someone from the (laughs) gong show contacted me we had a back and forth they didn't understand that i didn't live in la they wanted to meet like can you meet us i'm like i live six hours away i they didn't pull the trigger and just commit and fly me down and put me on the show i'm like i'm good enough for tv how dare you not put me in i was like well america's got, i'm like oh i'm gonna go be on america's got talent screw you gong show for not putting me on and look how that turned out so it's you know sometimes when you get rejected it's like well that that was not an opportunity you really needed or wanted so worked yeah. out better right on man right on so now that you've done america's got talent and uh you've got a little recognition like We've talked a little bit about social media, Twitter, and stuff like that, but what are you doing currently to promote yourself? Being controversial. It's a big thing I'm working on right now. Trying to be more controversial or less controversial? I think I just am. I just realized that I, the way I speak, you know, just the other day someone was like, you're being really political lately. I'm like, I've always been political. I've never not been political, but I guess I'm being less subtle about it. It's a strange thing to go from being a Bay Area comic, I'm, you know, I'm in California, to I'm connected to all of America and all over the world. And the way you have to angle your humor to try to make everyone laugh. Like, I can't do jokes about American politics for the people that live in Australia or England. Like, they don't really connect with that. But it's something that happens in my everyday life that I'm seeing. So I I dialed back a little bit here and there, but it's like, well, this stuff is important. And I see a lot of people who are really stupid. And I'd like to point out that they're being stupid. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the sad but true part of it is, well, the British people and people over, like, foreigners probably know more about our political system well guarantee they know more about our political system than we do there so they might actually get it but if it was the other way around we were hearing british government jokes we'd be lost right well they live closer to it and they seem to have better schools that they actually know geography that they don't get turkey confused with other countries and i think that's it's kind of sad i I, you know i'm not a conspiracy theorist by any means but i do feel in some way that the American education system wants people to be just smart enough to be able to go and vote, but not smart enough to really know who they should vote for. <laughs> oh, that name sounds familiar. I'll vote for that guy. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah. They want you to know how to read and write, but they don't want you to really know where places and things are. And we don't have the funding for that. You know, I can't blame anybody. I went to public school. And I don't, I didn't, even do geography and when I was in school. I remember people like, oh, you didn't take geography in school? I'm like, no, I didn't. I actually don't know where so many countries are because I didn't think I needed to know. It's even worse than that. Like, I'm actually from the Midwest, okay? I live out here in the Bay Area now myself. And when I moved out here, it seems like 
the only states like people out here really know is like Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada, New York, and Florida. Everything else in between is just some made up uh, single, like just one single territory. And what can we do? You know, what, who, who am I to try to educate people to? I'm a comic. I'm not supposed to try to tell you the truth all day. True. Well, let, let's, let's just go ahead and switch off geography. And uh, let's jump back to the question, like, what are you currently doing to uh, promote yourself? Well, you know, good, joking about controversy, but it kind of works. It's getting people talking about you is a good thing. You know, it's bad press, but it's, it's still press. You know, if I'm just being complacent and just doing jokes and whatever, like, which is good. That's important. I don't want anyone to think that it's, you can't be writing, you can't be working on what you, whatever you're doing, you know, art or whatever else, you know, I, I want to speak generally to people because it's, it's weird. I identify as a comedian, but, uh, I, I don't really connect with comedians as much as I connect with other performers. So, okay. yeah, it's. It's a strange thing where I, I connect so much with the people that if you're a dancer, if you're a, a sideshow act, if you're this or that, like, because I've never felt like a stand-up comedian, even though I, I totally am, but always work on whatever it is you're doing, but then finding something else to kind of have discussions and get people talking. Like, I had a poll the other day of which family do you think i'd fit in the adams family or the monsters because then that's a debate it's a question it's cute it's fun it's not political it's not geographical it's just about a tv show that maybe some people saw because i forget how old those shows are and then the movies and everything with adams family it's just it's just a fun thing to kind of fantasize about so which one did they say you uh fit into better it seemed about 68 percent were going towards adam's family and like whatever 30 something odd percent were going monster so it wasn't i was worried it was gonna be really one-sided but it was about two to one so which isn't so bad but i think less people are familiar with the monsters is kind of they're just older and not making movies I think that uh, could have a big thing to do with it. Now, in your mind, if you had to take the poll, which one would you say? Well, I haven't revealed that. There is there is an answer to that question, and that's a big top secret that I have not. I'm trying to get the inside scoop here. I am. I got to have some something breaking news here on uh, Uncontained. I'll I'll reveal it. I'll reveal it here. That's fine. It's I see, but that's that's what I'm talking about with the talking about discussions and promoting yourself. Is I just hype something up that's really not that important. Like I just acted like that was way cooler than it really is. And I think that's something that people can try to do. Well, you you got me, man. You got me. Yeah. I, like... I mean, I I I like that kind of stuff. I do. But my the the kind of thing I had in my mind is what if uh, Wednesday Adams and Whoever Butch Cassidy played, I can't remember, the, the Wolfman boy from the Munsters. That's how, oh, that's, okay. You can tell how one-sided I am. I definitely care about the Adams family more than the Munsters. But like, what if those two had a kid? I feel like I'd be their kid. I think I would be a joint. You know, I'd be those two families coming together through marriage, and I'm the child of those two families. Okay, so the love child of them both. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. See, but that's hype right there as I tried to hype it up. And I think that's an important thing for people to do is, you know, teasing at things a little bit can be fun. Yeah, I have to I have to figure out something to do for for this show like that. Uh, you know, I got to build up some hype. So maybe maybe you'll be seeing a poll from me sometime soon. But now I know you've had I'm pretty sure I know what one of your highlights are right now. All right. I. Pretty pretty simple, but I'm going to go ahead and ask the question anyway. If it's something different, go ahead and surprise me. If it's something we've already talked about, maybe you could just, if it's like something with America's Got Talent, just give a little more like insight or something that people might not know, like a story from there that is awesome. But what is a highlight and then what is a low light or hardship that you care to share? Let's start with the highlight. You want to start high and then go low? You were just all about my energy all right hey hey that's you know it's good to it's good to wind down i guess it is but, yeah. no because it's, it's humbling <laughs> well uh my highlight i don't i don't feel like it, i mean america's got talent that's more private the highlights about that that was very personable so i don't really get into all that but 
I remember before being on that show, there was a local variety show I was on. It was actually called North Bay's Got Talent because they were kind of spinning off the same idea. And I did that, I want to say like 2016 or so. So, you know, years before I ever really even thought of auditioning for America's Got Talent. And it was just in Santa Rosa and, you know, there was a wide range of talent that were on it, you know, from uh, elementary school level kids and high school kids that were on it to, you know, like adults and other things, people that had things. And I was, I was a stand-up performer. And it wasn't a competition show. Like, there was no winners at the end of it. It was just highlighting, hey, this is a singer, this is a this, that, whatever. And I was one of the, okay. I think they had four comics on. I was one of four comics across, you know, two shows or something. And after the show, there was a line to get pictures with me. It wasn't a very long line, but it was still like three or four people really liked my set, liked what That's I awesome. did. You know, kids wanted like to hug me. And I wasn't at all, you know, like that happens now, right? Like I'll get people that like want to get pictures with me. I'm like, but I hadn't, you know, been on TV. I hadn't had a viral thing. I was just some local comic who made them all laugh that night, whereas, you know, other people were doing other performances and it, and it resonated with them because I was so funny versus anything else that happened. And I, I remember that night too, because there was a, a bombing in France or something. Cause there's always horrible things going on. Oh, and wow. the singer before me, uh, was going to dedicate the song to France because it was in some way related. It might've been from Les Miserables. I can't remember all the details, and then they, we had problems with the microphone, and she goes, I'm going to do it a cappella. I'm going to do it without the microphone. She just completely owned that stage and owned that performance. It was very touching, very moving. And then I was on next. Quite the act to follow. Yeah. And I just completely crushed it. I remember I, one of the, my opening line was, because they had an order stage back, you know, you could see that who's 9th, 10th, 11th. Like, well, if anyone's keeping track, I am the 13th performer tonight, which I absolutely was. <laughs> and just from that, I had them, and it was... it. I at no point thought I was going to do well with that, too. I thought that was like, this is going to be hard. Like, there's families and stuff. I, I, I did a clean set still, but I'm like... I, I kind of couldn't believe it that I did that well. That's awesome, dude. That's awesome. So it's kind of cool to hear another highlight besides what everybody would expect is America's Got Talent. but um, North Bay's Got Talent. I'll always remember North Bay's Got Talent. North Bay's Got Talent. Hell yeah. So do you remember the other comics that were on that show? or? Yeah, and two of them don't even do comedy anymore, and one still does, and we're still friends. He was on a different – He was on. I think they did one Friday night and one Saturday night, so I think he was actually on a different night. Okay. All right. Cool, man. So now to the second half of this. It's uh, the low light or hardship that you've experienced, but I also add another part to it to bring it back down. So it's kind of bring it back up. So it's kind of like a dip. Start high, go low. And then how did you, how did you come out of that uh, hardship? And like, what did, like, were you able to turn that around into something that was positive? If not, you know, what did you learn from it? Well, it's, it's actually very, very, uh, I don't know, coincidental or serendipitous that we're starting high and then going low because one of my just worst sets ever, uh, I, I hadn't really been getting booked in the area or really ever anywhere for a good year. And then finally I got booked on two shows in one night. So it's like when it rains, it pours, right? Like finally. Yeah. <laughs> so I got to go from one gig to another gig. But I, you know, I'm like, well, this is what I want to do, so I'm going to do it. And the first gig was a non-paying gig. Uh, thanks, guys. I won't say who that was. But the second gig was supposed to be a paying gig. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to get a little bit of money. So the first gig, though, no money, but it goes really well. Like, I had a really good set. I opened up a show, and then I had to leave it, though. So I didn't stay to, like, get any praise or anything like that. But I had this really awesome set, and it was a weird feeling, though. I'm like, well, I don't get to connect with the audience. I don't get to get paid, which is what I want to do when I'm doing this. But I get to go somewhere else and do another set. And I get there, 
and it's the worst, most rowdiest, just worst audience ever. Worst. Worst. Wor- like, I can't even... They, they literally were throwing popcorn at us. Wow. Yeah. And that has to be, like, with your style of comedy, too, the mellow kind of chill uh, delivery, uh, that has to be really hard to work with. Yeah, I don't think I got a laugh from most. I, I mean, there was there was a table of people that were really into the comedy, and then there were four more tables that were touch and go. They were just so drunk, and, like, they wanted to heckle. They were heckling really bad. And I just had the hardest just I, – I don't know how I managed to be up there for over 10 minutes just going through jokes and just watching as – I'm having popcorn literally thrown at me. Someone has got an app out and they're playing the cricket noise, like the chirping. Are you serious? Wow. Yeah. Uh, but I got paid for that gig. So at the same time, you know, kind of, but I had to kind of keep thinking back, like I did a show earlier, I'm like, but I didn't get paid. It was a weird balancing act. I'm like, this is what I want to do, but this is really difficult. Like I, I get to have a good set and have a good time and don't get paid. Or I, I just have to slog through it's, it was li- literally my first booking. Like the first time I ever knew I was doing a show rather than showing up and getting on one. It's, both those people wanted me at their show to do comedy i'm like this is so rough this is just insane i don't know that i can keep doing this and then my i'm going to an open mic the next day and my car battery dies i'm like maybe i'm not supposed to be a comedian man oh dude so that those shows are always always rough man but you got through it and uh Got your car battery fixed, right? Or did you say, screw the car, I'm walking? Uh, I went, I still went to the open mic because I was so determined to have something better than the set I had the night before. And I got a jump, went to San Francisco, and I still I needed to get a jump to get home. Uh, I had an okay set. It wasn't that good of a set. It did not make up for the one the night before. Yeah. Where I just completely was – I mean, people weren't really heckling me there. But it, it was just like, this is really tough and this is really hard. Uh, does it get easier, you know, like, or, or am I really bad at it? Like, what am I not handling? It's hard when you have outside sources, you know, like, like the car battery or like the, you know, I didn't run that show that was going really badly. I'm like, well, if I could have ran that show, I think I could have had a different energy throughout, you know, and, and settled things. And so you, you, you try to learn like what, what was it? Or, you know, maybe, maybe it was just a bad show. And when you don't do that many shows, it, it really, it, it hangs on you like, oh, okay this is what I have to push through or, or is this what it always is like? Yeah. So, uh, what was it that kept you going at that point? Spite. Uh, I just really wanted to prove to people that I could do it. Right on, man. Well, I'm glad you stuck with it. I, I have like a couple more questions left for you here and then, uh, we'll get you on your way here. Now to bring things back up a little bit, what is it that you want people who come to your show to remember and take away from your performance? I wouldn't have anything specific. You know, I can't control what they take away, but I hope there's something. I hope that, uh, at the end of the night, like they are enthralled, they're happy and that they did because you never know. I I've had, people come up to me and say things that I like riffed on stage. Like that was so funny when you said that. I'm like, and I don't remember saying it, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm so happy and glad that they remember it versus, you know, it just got forgotten into, into the nothingness. Definitely, man. Definitely. All right, man. So you just want them to have a good time pretty much at the show. Nothing specific. No, I mean, I don't have like a, a message or a, a voice that I'm trying to have, you know, I know a lot of comics have that and that's, that's okay. That's good for a lot of them. Uh, probably bad for a lot of them too. Maybe be less preachy if you're not funny, but I, I don't have that. And I, and I've, I just, I'm not compelled to get into anything where I'm like, and then at the end of the day, I really want you to be free and express yourself. I'm like, no, I actually, I don't care. I don't care if people do express themselves. If you want to hide and be afraid, hide and be afraid. Like I want people to feel comfortable doing whatever they want to do and, and, and being attached to whatever they're attached to. And that's, okay. that's not anything. I, I don't want to guide them in any direction because that's, 
that's just not what my art really is. You know, it's not, it's not specific. They can take value in anything that they kind of appreciated. Very cool, man. That, that, that makes sense. So, you know, just uh, let them take what they want and uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully they like more people like it than don't. Am I, am I often saying that or (laughs) no, I, I, yeah, I guess I just agree. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, so I have one more question for you. Uh, before I get to that question, though, where can people uh, find you online? What's your corner of the internet, Oliver? Oliver Graves, IRL. She gets you my Twitter, my Instagram, my Facebook, uh, olivergraves.com. That's another, that's my website. All right. All right, cool. So they can find links to your social media on your website and uh, get a hold of you there. Yeah, and I have I should have links to my YouTube. I'm on YouTube. I'm actually on YouTube as well as other videos of me. Find my actual. It should just be Oliver Graves, uh, my channel for that. Cool. So I'll put those in the show notes so people can find you easier and let you know that they heard you here on Uncontained. And uh, if they haven't seen the America's Got Talent video, uh, you can easily Google that and it's all over uh, YouTube. So check that out. Now, I do have one final question for you. I've had a uh, great time talking to you, learning about uh, what it is like on the set of AGT and, you know, how you got into the whole uh, the whole persona of oliver graves and uh it's just been a blast getting to know you man so i got that one final question for you oliver graves how do you live uncontained i don't i live very (laughs) contained i live so contained i would no. i really you know it's it's a hard thing it's hard to to have a down but it's it's kind of this dumb thing where the movie Castaway. I don't know if people have seen it. It's Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks and Wilson. And a, and a volleyball, yeah. And he's stuck on an island. And at one point, part of a porta potty gets washed up to his island, and he turns that porta potty like wall frame into a sail. And there's this line in the movie where he says, "You know, you never know what the tide might bring in." And it's just as always kind of made me think like life kind of can go in cycles. Like there's a whole year to the the cycle of earth and the weather and all that. And you can't let one or two days be the down, like the title go out, the title be down, but it's going to come back in or maybe it's in and it's too much. And it's just when you're working with, you know, being an artist and a performer, there isn't this set nine to five. This is the schedule. This is the thing. It's, it's not this 40 hour work week. It's, you might be working three days straight. You're not really sleeping very well. You're driving back and forth to gigs to then, hey, you don't have anything going on for a week. Do you de-stress? Do you work on something else? Like, what do you do? Uh, it, it's learning there's not a rhythm to this and that there isn't a set path. It isn't you do this for two years and then after four years you get to the – like, no, that's that's not the way any of this works. You need to work on what you feel you're weakened at or want to be stronger at. And you can't try to be set into that path and you can't live into that kind of like, this is what worked for someone else. So I'm going to follow that. Like you can for a little while to get you started, but you got to make your own way. You have to find what works for you. And I, I just kind of, it took a while. It took getting into like variety shows and being the comic of the night yeah, you know, versus you know, there's other acts going on, and realizing like I stand out so much that I don't necessarily fit into a comedy lineup, that I really fit into these variety lineups so much more, and it's breaking out of that mold and, and getting onto things I knew I would never get, you know, be a regular comic, but finding out that I could be something else and there was room for that like that's where i'm like okay then it went from you know what's the the term you gotta run before you can walk sometimes and that's that's what happened is i just started going with it like yes like this is what i am until i was like okay now i'm something else run run before you walk yeah start start going faster than the momentum that that you were going at because i was afraid of of you know doing 
variety shows and things. And like, I, I didn't, as, there's more pressure when you're one of two or three comics. Yeah. Cause if you're not funny, the next act is not supposed to be funny. So it really <laughs> stands out. Like, and, and you're, you're there to, to really be that. And it's like, yeah, you have to kill it. You have to get out there and just utterly destroy and own it. Otherwise, what's the point of, of stopping, you know, people from taking their clothes off or doing weird gore or singing acts or whatever amazing thing that they were doing? Why did we stop to put a microphone in your hand if you're just going to flop on stage? And that's, yeah, that's where I had to just, you go full for it. You have to find all of that and go with it. Right on, man. Right on. Get in where you uh, fit in, I guess. Like the vari- So what was it about the variety show that made you feel more comfortable and more at home? Because it's not a world of, you know, showing up as you are. You know, it's not, well, I, I got my jeans and my hoodie on. Guess I'm going to tell some jokes tonight. Okay. You know, that's not, that's not the, what I'm, I'm into, I'm into a little bit more, like a little bit more flair. Like, I don't, I don't want to say like, I look amazing and I'm great on, like, I'm not Lady Gaga on stage, but <laughs> I'm, I'm not, you know, just some schlub who like, oh, that's what I was wearing that day. And yeah. it just, if I felt like I was fitting into that more and there were, there were just great people that were booking me for these, these variety shows just all over. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to do but then yeah from from that i'm like no i want to i want to do my own shows but it took steps it you know it took being comfortable with not being accepted in comedy being comfortable with being the comedian on a show to being comfortable with being a comedian and and having my own shows nice so i went from you know a to b to c to d it took time nice man so it sounds like you've put the work in though man to get to where you're going yeah no, it's it's been years, and it's it's surreal. Like we're being on the whole like TV thing, and people are like, "Oh, just today I saw someone suggest that I was a paid actor for America's Got Talent." Like that everything was staged, and I faked all that. I'm like, I've been doing this so long, like that. You know, the only reason that I hurt, you know, because I think like, "Wow, what a great actor you think I am," but it hurt because of all the years and everything <laughs> I put into it. Definitely, definitely. And it's that uh, quote-unquote overnight success, too, you know, where they just see you start to make it and they're like, oh, it just happened. But all the work that goes behind it that makes you who you are on stage, I can see how somebody saying that, oh, that's a paid actor doing that role could be upsetting. Yeah, you're always going to get negativity. That's the thing, though, is you have to look at like, well, if 5% of the people out there are negative and then 95% are positive don't focus on that five percent those are some really good words to wrap up with man uh once again i do want to thank you for coming on the show and i have one final thing for you to do oliver and that is sign off the show tonight will you do me the honor of signing off the show yes yeah, I hope people check out my stand-up. Maybe don't check out my stand-up because it's a little clever, and some of you probably wouldn't get it. So if you think you're kind of on the dumb side, it's not for you. Just forget about it. And I am Oliver Graves, and I live uncontained. And that does it for another episode of Uncontained. Thank you for listening, and thank you to Oliver Graves for joining me and uh, sharing his story about AGT and also all the other things that he has going on, including what he does with social media and, uh, yeah, uh, giving a little enlightenment on his difference between drama and stand-up comedy. So we got some great stuff coming for you here on Uncontained, including an interview with RVDS Rob Van Dam, the whole fucking show where we talk about his new documentary headstrong. If you have heard about it here on the show already, I interviewed the filmmaker Joe Clark, and now I get to speak to RVD about it and, uh, and how the show changed in connotation from being a show about going out on the road just doing stand-up to taking on the whole aspect of brain health and uh, concussions. So it's a hell of an episode coming up with RVD, so make sure you check that out. And make sure you subscribe to Uncontained as well. That way you'll get these kick-ass shows 
directly to your podcast player of choice. So whether you listen on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, or whichever one it may be, hit that subscribe button and uh, get the alert when brand new episodes of Uncontained are available. And and please make sure to rate and review that show as well in your podcast player of choice. So with that being said, 2020 is just getting started and so is Uncontained's new year, bringing you kick-ass new episodes, including RVD right here on Uncontained. So until next time, live Uncontained. <laughs>